Hello and welcome to the Where We Left Off podcast. I'm your host, Austin Gall, here with my co-host, Tommy Hanlon. The two of us have been working together for more than 10 years in the music industry, from managing a DIY venue to traveling the Midwest throwing parties. We've met some pretty interesting people along the way. This podcast is dedicated to conversations with artists and road dogs we form friendships with and see time and time again. We pick up where we left off. Tommy, dude, it was so good to see you last week. It's I can't believe it's already June, but uh, how you been, man? It's been like a week since I've seen you, so... What's going on? I needed a Tommy bear hug. So thank you. Thank you for giving me that. Now that we're all fully vaxxed up, we can we can get back to touching each other, I guess, which is kind of weird to say, but I'm with it. Come on over here and touch me, baby. I've been good, man. Uh it's been a it's been a good week. I got a random pair of sneakers in the mail that I need to figure out who they came from. Um, I thought it was like someone on the grandson team, but it just said like these are so you don't get fat on stage or something like that. So oh my God. you know random acts of kindness slash somewhat backhanded comments about my weight i don't know dude it's okay it's, dude it's all nice all i have. all i want to hear from you the next time i next time i see you is how much weight that i've lost because i'm on this huge weight loss journey right now i'm trying at least i've got a banana here with me and a glass of water so you know it's better than like having i think you just had a bowl of cereal so i i'm yeah. at least I'm, I'm a little above you in this right now so we need to challenge each other you just got to start it eating was, a shitload of fruit it was wheat shredded. Things. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's like not good that bad. Did it have it's sugar like on top of it? Cereal. Did it have maybe sugar on top? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. Oh, Just how can you not? Let's. Go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this week's episode is another person I've had the pleasure of living on a bus with for weeks on end. We're joined with uh, Danny Rocco, better known as Des Rocks. I met him in early 2019 hey. when he was a. Uh, jumping on to the U.S. leg of the No Apologies tour, which was such a fucking fun tour, even in the midst of all the breakdowns and near-death experiences. Um, but as I've mentioned before, it's a really weird, fast way to get to know someone, and there's a lot of in missed information in there. So let's uh, welcome Desrox to the show and get to know him a little bit better together. What's up, Danny? How you hey, doing, how's man? it going? How is New I'm York treating you? I think the last time we saw each other was like just before the the hell gates opened up and swallowed whatever timeline we're on. Um, but yeah, you guys were just passing through Omaha and the Glorious Sons tour, um, playing like the slowdown. And that was like one of the last five shows I went to. So it sticks wow. out in my head in such like a weird way. Like I still have like dreams about like that show and like a couple other ones I went to where it's just like it's the last live experience I had. So in my brain, it's like the closest thing to like a show, you know? So yeah. what's new with you, though? How have you been? Uh, last time I saw you, you were like just getting a pup, going back to New York. What's been new? Man, um, I've been writing and recording like crazy. I've become like a total hermit in a cave. And I've just been working on new music and just dreaming about a live show that I hope is going to be happening very, very, very soon. Um, yeah. So, we, yeah, man. I think we've all kind of fallen into that uh, that black hole of just like being a hermit. Like I, I don't leave my house like other than like exercise and go to the grocery store. So like, I think we're I think we're all like right there in that same in that same boat. Yeah, absolutely. And Tom, it's funny you mentioned that show because like I was one of those people who was so fortunate to have my last show be March 1st, 2020. You know what I mean? Like I toured up until the buzzer beater and I got home like March 2nd and I was like, wow, what's going on? Things are feeling weird in the city. And I was like, it'll be nice to be home for a few weeks. So regardless. And you know, that was 16 months ago. So yeah. it's crazy. Dude, right yeah, it, when you guys got home, you had just released, or like it was right after the pandemic, you released that acoustic version of um, Used to the Darkness. And I remember like that was such an eerie, like 
you know, just set the mood for like the past year of just kind of waiting and like just being in darkness and you're just like, like we said at this point, we're just used to it and just kind of waiting to, to go back. But yeah, man, I remember seeing that and seeing New York just like empty and just being like, man, that's gotta be surreal to go back to as like a city dweller to go back to just, it looked like the Midwest, you know, <laughs> it looked like Omaha, Nebraska, downtown, just dead. And yeah, yeah. it was just, I mean, I remember we were trying to find a bar in Omaha, Nebraska after that show. And it was like 1130 and we found one bar and it had one bartender. And the person was so overwhelmed by all of us coming there and they didn't know what to do. And I was just like, we blew their minds. And that's literally what New York felt like when I got home. It was crazy. Yeah. So are, do you live in uh, New York City like proper or where, where are you at? Yeah, I'm in I'm in Manhattan. Yeah. Nice, nice. I I I I just curious. I I haven't really talked to anybody from Manhattan, you know, since the pandemic started. I mean, obviously the city's changed like quite a bit, but like what do you think the obviously, you know, not having a bunch of tourists around like 24/7 is a huge difference, but like what do you think the biggest change in Manhattan has been since the pandemic started? Well, for the first time in my life, like neighborhoods are actually neighborhoods. Yeah. You know, so it's like I have, I like, I'm on 14th street. Like it's like the heart of the beast. It's a crazy, it's like a little mini times square downtown kind of. And like, I'll walk outside and I'll see people I know, you know, oh, and I'll go right, for a walk right. with the dog and someone will be like, Oh, Hey, uh, Eleanor, you know, like know my dog's name. And yeah. it's such a surreal feeling because usually it's just a sea of anonymous people every time you walk outside. And for the first time ever, it's not the case. So it's, yeah. that's like the very, very thin silver lining. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Like I, <clears throat> I've always, I've, I guess I've never lived in like a, like a really dense area like that, but like, yeah, super, super crazy. I, I would love to, I would love to visit Manhattan sometime. I've never been to fucking New York city. It's crazy to me. Like I've been like all over the East coast. I'm 29 years old. <laughs> I've never been to New York city. I told oh Austin before God. this, if he has any New York questions, this is the moment to get him out because you're like the expert on all things New York in my eyes. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we definitely got to change that soon. Damn, dude, that is that is wild, man. Um, I feel like I'd only want to have a reaction that's like overstated because then it'll be like, oh, you've never been to New York. How could you have never come? But at the same time, I'm sad because I feel like you're missing a lot. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one day, dude, that's a, that's a post-pandemic dream. I mean, like I've... Since we travel so much, like on the weekends, it's hard to like plan like a weekend away. But I'm I'm really looking forward to to getting out there sometime. I feel like I've been robbed of all this culture in New York for so long, and I don't I can't do it anymore. So 2022, it's happening. 2022, yeah, yeah. you got all of 2020. Or wait, are we in 2021 right now? Holy yeah, shit, now, never now mind. I'm just losing yeah. losing track of time. Now, I'm though. I'm losing track of everything these days, man. <laughs> I, I was like 2022, that's so far away. Fuck, that's next year. I'm. Uh, anyway let's <laughs> let's bring yeah. it back around here um so let's talk your new ep you know you always try to seem to bring your music into the times and i think this new new record is no exception it's raw it's loud it's angry it's reflective um and it seems to have a gl glimmer of hope even within all the despair of the lyrics like we got through this you know we're still here um your your release it came out at the end of 2022 or 20 <laughs> not 2022 2020 um and let me just say man it's it's a it's a piece of art like i loved listening to it i, I was jamming it as i wrote the script again just to kind of revisit it and man like all over the place but at the same time it is just a fantastic like piece of work um can you speak a little bit about the writing process with desrox you know like i know you you've talked about it with me but talk about it with our fans <laughs> The, the writing process is, um, I mean, a, cu a couple adjectives like come to mind immediately. It's, uh, it, it can be very lonely. 
um, because I just write everything myself um, and produce everything myself with just one guy, like my friend from high school. Um, So it, you know, and a lot of that were apart and some of that and a lot of that were together. It's, it can be very euphoric where I'm just kind of like manic in a sense. Like I'm literally um, trying to hear voices in my head, which is in most cases like a psychiatric condition. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I'm trying to bring that up. Um, And then it could, the pendulum swings both ways though. It could be just as euphoric and crazed and exciting as it can be just miserable. And I'm just kind of like thinking about these songs. It's like each each song I get into like a kind of new relationship with. And you go through the full range of emotions with each one. And it's a journey, man. For me, it is an absolute journey the way I write and, and record and produce and what ends up making it out is the product of so many different emotions and, and circumstances. Do you so, find like a little bit of like freedom in that loneliness? Like you talk about like writing and producing like all the music yourself, but I mean, do you find like comfort in some of that freedom you have being able to like control the creative process, you know, with your friend from like A to A to Z or is it, is it kind of, am I missing the mark there? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like what I do is, is a complete, um, creative dictatorship. And I think that's really important for the best art ever. Like you can't imagine like a Prince album where like all the band members were bringing their ideas to the table and they were working through it. I just, that's not how it works for me as unfair as that sounds. Um, and I'm definitely a bit of a control freak, like some of my favorite artists of all time are, and that's how you get the standard of art that you need to cut through all the bullshit and just middle garbage that exists today, you know? Yeah. So it sounds like isolation within your writing process is nothing new to you. Has it changed at all because of the pandemic or is it pretty true to what it's been? Yeah. I mean, I've always been like, you know, there's been a lot more of me being in the room with my co-producer and co-writer on everything. Um, And last year it was like way more separate, you know, it was like, if we're in the room together, you know, 70, 70% of the time, 50% of the time, it went to like 10% of the time, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was just me really just sitting alone um, and just producing and writing and working on everything. So it was, yeah, it changed a lot. And during all this time, you guys, is this more of a live space? I always see you guys in this little like warehouse studio. And for a while it was like, it looked like you were squatting if I'm not mistaken, you know, but, uh, you, you built out a studio. What was that all about? Are you guys, is that for recording or is that more of like a live practice studio? Yeah. So it's a little bit of both. Like the guy that I make the records with Jerry, he's just like an absolute cannon, loose cannon and an absolute character. And I was squatting. I wasn't squatting. I was subleasing from squatters. So it's legitimate. <laughs> and we were above a dog food warehouse in Brooklyn. And it was absolutely disgusting. Literally rats, <laughs> no plumbing. You have to piss in bottles. You have to find a place to go number two, all this stuff. Absolutely disgusting. And uh, we got kicked out of that space because Jerry got into a huge fist fight with the people we were subleasing from. So we got kicked out. And like in New York, I'm in like, I'm looking for a new space every like six months. So made all the Craigslist rounds, all of that shit in COVID. It was crazy. Found a room above a bakery uh, in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, next to a graveyard. And I was like, this checks all my boxes. I got a little spooky. I got a little BK. I got a little uh, bakery action. Like yeah, my grandmother some... grew up above a bakery in Brooklyn. I was like, this is fate. And we built out this little room on top of there. And that is now my space. Um, and we do rehearse in there. Um, but it is 
kind of like a residential neighborhood. So I got this like plexiglass booth to put the drums in and it helps a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's my new space now. And that's where I, that's where I pretty much do everything like there in my apartment. Nice. Do you, do you feel like if, when you walk outside of like that studio, like, does it inspire you at all being around like all of like Brooklyn and like Manhattan? Like, I, I mean, you said your studios in Brooklyn, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, does it, does it inspire you to inspire you to like walk out into that culture? Like when you leave the studio or is it kind of more in like a reclusive area? Oh, it is. Everything New York city is integral to my DNA as the person yeah. and as an artist, they are so intertwined. I walk out that door and I walk to the top of this little hill where you have an amazing view of the whole skyline. And then I also walk through this incredible historic Brooklyn cemetery where some of my favorite artists and New Yorkers are buried. And it's immensely inspirational. And all that goes right into the music. That's, they're just like leeching out their talent into the the aura around you from the cemetery, just giving you their like last talent to to absorb or something. <laughs> yeah, talk, like I can never make a Des Rocks record in Southern California. Like, talk, yeah. talk about some of those artists, dude. Like, I mean, what's a? I mean, who? I mean, who do you look up to? Like in that in that space? I mean, you, you talk about like all of those people that you were just talking about. I mean, name some of those people who uh who inspires you. Some of the dead people buried in the cemetery across the street. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like there's amazing visual artists. There's Basquiat who's buried in there. Yeah. Um, they're like the whole Teddy Roosevelt family and clan is not Teddy himself, but his father is buried in that cemetery. Um, and then also it's like this kind of industrial neighborhood at the same time, like mechanics, chop shops, like strangely alive poultry situation going on, which maybe you guys are more familiar with being in the Midwest. I don't know. Yeah. But well, in New York, yeah, in New York, that's like crazy. That's like that's like fucking nuts. You know what I mean? Like the idea that I would see chickens next to a place where they're like gutting Toyotas and like reselling them and putting the odometer back. You know, it's, it's like New York is everything at once. It is every creed, culture, ethnicity, race, religion, type of person all at once. Every smell, every sound. That's New York City. And that's very much like a Des Rocks record is like the way you were describing that EP. Very much so. So obviously you intended to follow Martyr Parade with something and it had, and you had been working on songs for an album before the world imploded. But how much did the vision of this album change once the pandemic hit? Was it something that came out of the pandemic or were these songs something you were already kind of working on? Yeah, so the EP was like, the last EP I put out, the third one, sort of like my EP trilogy, that was a distinctly pandemic time EP. Um, and similarly with the album, um, that's going to be a distinctly pandemic time album. Absolutely. This is like, I didn't have to go play shows on the weekends while I was making it. I've never been so laser focused on a body of work in my entire life. That's awesome. Yeah. And it probably won't like, sometimes I feel like rock has a a tendency to do this, especially like writing songs about being on the road or whatever. Like you probably aren't going to have too much of that. It'll be a lot more introspective perhaps. Yeah, no, it's, it's a whole, um, the album is going to deal a lot with themes of escapism and that very much defined the last year for me, like sitting in a room and dreaming of shows and, and dreaming of a world I wanted to create and live in. And that's totally intertwined with the record. So knowing you, you know, like, like we said, you wrote, I'm sure these songs still to be performed in front of an audience. What was it like releasing, you know, this past EP and thinking about releasing an album, you know, when you can't go out and play it live, hopefully by the time you release your album, you can go out and play it live, but you know, still having that headspace of just, you know, how do you address that to the fans? 
it's like it, the process is really the same. Like I'm, when I'm making a song, I am still just a little kid dancing in my room in my underwear in front of the mirror and like pretending I'm playing a show. You know what I mean? Like it's the exact same part of my brain. It never went away as my body went through puberty. It stayed the exact same. So, um, you know, like that is always what it is, whether I'm making something during COVID times or not COVID times. Yeah. Well, let's, let's dive back a little further here. I want to talk about young Danny for a minute. Cause I'm supremely interested in, I mean, and we, we've talked about this already and which most people can probably pick up by now that you're from New York, you're from Manhattan, but I know, you know, I want to know how you got to where you are. So, I mean, you grew up in long Island. I mean, the bands coming out of there at that time, I mean, not at that time, but I mean, for all of eternity. I mean, we had Travis Riley from This Is Hell, which is a hardcore band from uh, Long Island. I mean, there's nonstop hit makers coming out of that area. I don't know. <laughs> Tommy said this prior to the podcast, like getting on here. He's like, I don't know what the hell is in the water up there, but get me a glass. But talk about growing up in like the scene there. I mean, wh- who took you to your first show? Who was it? You know, give us a little insight, you know, uh, of how you got into music. Yeah, Long Island is a really interesting place, man. It's a much bigger place than people think. It's a much more diverse place than people think. You grow up right in the shadow of New York City. Like New York City was always 30 minutes away, right? And that really defines who you are. You kind of grow up looking at this giant, amazing thing that you want to jump into. And scenes and different cultural um, events spring up around places like that. And you have this magnetic icon in the central and you live around it. Um, So... For me, like I grew up going to a lot of hardcore shows, like really hardcore shows. I was always just like I am today. I just never fit into a scene. You know what I mean? Like I wanted, I was inspired by Queen and Elvis Presley. And I loved also like My Chemical Romance and bands like that. And I would have some weird combination of all those things. And I'd be on this hardcore bill and there'd be five bands in front of me just like crushing in. They're all hardcore. And then I come on and people are like a little puzzled and I'm playing it like I'm in 80,000 people arena. And they're like, I don't really know what that was. And then five more hardcore bands come on. You know what I mean? Um, so like, I always was kind of this odd man out and this lone wolf. And I think uh, that started in Long Island playing shows, but I was constantly, man, one of the first shows I went to um, was this pop punk band called Patent Pending and uh, out of Long Island. Yeah. And it blew my mind. I just went to this like little dive bar when I was 13 or 14 years old and I just saw them crush it to a hundred people and then jump off the stage and go sell merch. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but I got just like, this is crazy. And it blew my mind, this whole world. And I immediately, I formed a band the next day and immediately started playing. And I played that same venue like 30 days later. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> Name some of your favorite bands from like that area. I mean, you talk about patent pending. I mean, did you ever get into like the movie life or anything like that? Um, I'd say Taking Back Sunday and Brand New, without a doubt. Like Marco yeah. Connell, the drummer, Taking Back Sunday was from my town. I would literally oh, walk yeah. home. Yeah, I would literally walk home from elementary school and I would hear them rehearsing in the garage, <laughs> on on like um like literally around the block from my elementary school. And like you know, we would have this little club in the town, and like they would play this club. And I was like 12, 13 years old, like going to these shows, like getting my ass kicked, you know. Um, so yeah, like bands like that. Also, there was this band that was way ahead of their time. Speaking of the movie life nightmare of you yes. um good band and that was like my favorite band ever like my fa- i worshiped this first album they put out so much and i actually played a show with them in my like shitty high school band i opened for them in like a roller rink in long island um and i was like it was like the biggest deal of my life like i thought i'd open for like bruce springsteen it was crazy <laughs> <laughs> 
And guitar yeah. wasn't your only instrument, correct? Like you were musically inclined before you got into the rock and roll, right? Yeah, I, I loved orchestras. Like, because that was the first instrument I was exposed to as a kid. And I remember being in kindergarten and seeing the kids carrying these little cases of things like walking around. I was like, what are these little cases these people carry? And then like, see one pop it open and it's got like a little velvet on top. And it's like this beautiful instrument underneath. I was like, this is so cool, I'm in. And uh, I was very into string instruments, love violin. Um, so I played that at first. And then like in middle school, I discovered the guitar and then I kind of never looked back. Do you still and play violin? That... No. No, I mean, my mother wishes I did, but um, she's like, you should play your violin more. It's sitting here collecting dust. I'm like, I don't know. Dude, I'm sure you could fit it into a Des Rocks record at some point, yeah. you know? <laughs> Do like a full yeah, fiddle I, album or something. Just you squeeze like, my mother before this interview because she would be loving this right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, could like, you could like 180 into like a yellow card band, man. Like that, that's the only band that I can like think of like modern day that like uses like a violin, I think. I mean, I'm sure there's like- Dave Matthews. Yeah. Dave. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, yeah. Dave Matthews. How could you forget? Do you find that you know, like having that orchestral background bleeds into your music when you write? Like, do you want to write this like full, almost symphonic sounding thing sometimes? Absolutely, without a doubt. And like for me, the orchestral stuff that stained my brain as a young child was a sense of melody and, and a sense of size. Like I love melody. I love it, whether it's on a string instrument or a voice. And I also love scale. Like I love a 30, 40, 50 piece orchestra and like the weight that carries and the punch that packs. And you'll see on all the new music coming up, it's just absolutely enormous. It's the biggest music I've ever made without a doubt. And I, I mean, I call it bedroom arena rock. You know I mean? It's like made on the laptop that I'm talking to you on. Uh, and at the same time, like I, I only see it in the biggest places on earth. That's awesome. So before, you know, Obviously, we're talking about your adolescence. When did you start taking it seriously? When did you start wanting to tour? And obviously, you were taking it seriously the whole time if you put together a band in like 30 days. But when did you actually start getting out on the road and like, quote unquote, professionally playing music? Since day one, I was always this little hustler. And all I wanted to do was be in bands, run the bands, tour the bands, play shows, get better. Like I knew I wasn't that great. You know, like I knew I wasn't that great at singing or playing guitar and I just wanted to get better. Um, so I would play every little dive bar in Long Island and Queens and New York City and Brooklyn. Any place that would let me play, like even before CBGB's closed down, I played there as like a 14 year old at 11 a.m. in the morning. And then I got kicked out afterwards because I'm not allowed to be in a bar, um, which is some loophole that they just made up in the law. It's like, yeah, as long as you're performing here, you don't have to be 21. But like I would play these bars and I would have to leave right after my set. Um, so yeah, so like, you know, I always was doing that. Like my parents would even drive me to shows if they were, if I couldn't take the public transportation there, like if I had a show in Connecticut, like my dad would drive me there and it'd be like 90 minutes. I'd go and I'd play and I'd come out and he'd drive me home. And I was like very supportive like that. Um, and then I started touring when I was 16, 17 and just minivans and like old trucks we would buy and, uh, played every little basin in the country to nobody. You know, I would just book tours. I would just blind email bands that I saw had shows coming up and they would be like, yeah, you can open. And I'd roll up to some basement in Chattanooga, Tennessee and play to like 12 kids. And we just mosh and beat each other up and it was fun. And I sucked, but it was the best experience of my life. You know, was that under secret weapon or was there a different band that you were doing that under? No, I was in like a bunch of other bands in high school and stuff. Um, yeah. So I was a guitar player for those bands. We'd literally just roll up to like a rec center 
and then we play the show and then we just like okay good night and then we just like sleep there you yeah know? <laughs> yeah and yeah, i was you- like you, you can't imagine that shit happening today like today some like and this is not that this is not ancient history you know and it's like today you'd have, to have a key card and you'd have to get into the you know what i mean like we'd sleep at the venues yeah yeah i mean you're 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 you're, you're in good company here i mean we you know, me and Tommy managed a DIY venue for like five years. We definitely know the grind and yeah, man, it's, what? it's, it's so, it's, it's always so fun to see people come out of like that DIY grind though. You know, you never lose that attitude. You never lose like that, that part about you, but like, it's so fun to watch people progress in their careers and like, you know, get out of like, you know, buying like trucks and like playing to 12 people in basements while it's like all fun. And like, those are some of the best times of my life. It's, it's so fun to watch people like get out of that and like thrive, you know, I mean, you've, you've done some really big shit since then, you know, I mean, the grandson tour, which I think Tommy's about to talk about next. I mean, that's, that's a huge, you know, playing to a, playing to a lot of people on those. I mean, how did that show at the, at slowdown do? I mean, were, were you playing to some pretty big crowds prior to the pandemic, like uh, popping off? Yeah. I mean, I was um, on tour with Muse in Europe. Um, oh, dude, that's crazy. Open for, the, open for the Rolling Stones before the pandemic. Um, so fucking, so, so we, rock and roll, dude. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely um, been blessed to have gotten to play in front of some big audiences. And it's it's um it's really the culmination of of everything I've worked for since I was, you know, that 13-year-old little hustler kid, you know. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like you were doing like the festival circuit pretty hard. Like you did the festival circuit, I know, here in the States, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, we had a great um we had a great Lollapalooza right before the pandemic happened. Oh, yeah. Um a bunch of others that got canceled unfortunately, but all coming back up, which is great yeah yeah those i love those festivals they're always so diverse and like like you can go and see like so many different types of music on like the festival circuit here in like the states do you think you fit in well with like that crowd like you know do you think like the the fans are really receptive to like what you're bringing to the table with those fests i don't think i fit in with anything you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's and that's tough because like i'm not in a scene you know what i mean i i think if you hear a des rocks record you can't mistake it for like an Imagine Dragons record, right? right? You're gonna be like, "Oh, who's this sync rock band?" You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I really, and it's been like, it's been one of the hardest hurdles to overcome to see scenes, to see artists like get big in scenes because they're all collaborating all this stuff. And I've just always had this radical sense of just wanting to do whatever I wanted to do and not, and not caring. But it's, it's for the most part, has has been detrimental to like my career and my success. You know, what's up, um, puppy? <laughs> and um, what well, I'm gonna say, yeah, but uh, like in the festival stuff, the only way I think I fit into any festival is that I just want to make the biggest, baddest music to the most people. And festivals have a lot of people, and I want to unite okay. people with melody and song and, and crowds. Even if you don't speak English, I want you to sing along. You know, what I mean, like that's that's how I think of it. Yeah. And as an up and coming artist, you sometimes have to say yes to whatever support tours or festivals come your way to get in front of new people, you know, but I think for you, like you said, you're so different than everyone else that that's like, it it doesn't matter who you're out with. Like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but you're like, you were supposed to play some shows with the who even not the rock and roll band that you would think the who, but like the fucking Mongolian folk band, the who, you know, like that kind of shit where like, Uh, it doesn't really make sense, but it also fits because you're both, like you said, just this loud, like large sound that like people are just going for like almost the spectacle. It's like, this is a show in and of itself regardless of what genre i'm into you know you're out there rolling around running across the stage fucking 
beaten on things. Like it is the most rock and roll show, regardless of the genre that it is, even though it is rock, you know? Yeah. I mean, like also think about like, I just don't like anything that's obvious. You know what I mean? Like if you were like a set to a young prince or a young queen, it's like, who's the obvious person you show up for? You would have no idea because there's nothing really like it. And there hasn't been anything since, you know what I mean? But you know what the influences are. And it's not like some left field, like crazy stuff. It's digestible, but it's for, it's really special and really unique. You know, I like a lot of artists, I could just be like, oh, they should tour open for so-and-so because they basically are like so-and-so light. You know what I mean? Oh, they should go in 1975 because uh, they're just like a watered down 1970. You know what I mean? Like, so it's makes it tough to find those like early opening slots for sure, which is why I was so fortunate um, to have like grandson in that whole camp take a chance on me on my first tour. Yeah, man. I was going to say, you've gotten some really impressive opening slots nonetheless. Like you said, Muse, Rolling Stones, and of course us. Um, do you ever look up and just wonder, like, how did I get here? Or it sounds like you've, you know, been working at it since you were a teenager. Should you look up and just think, I'm finally here. I've made what I've been working toward my whole life. No, I'm not even close. I don't think I've even scratched the surface yet. You know, and it's Good. like, it's also <laughs> important to note that like, all those great opening slots, like here I am, like opening from use 25,000 people to stones to 80,000 people wow. and nobody in the industry can fuck with me. Like yeah. nobody, like we went to grant, I had a whole meeting with grandson's label, hard pass, you know, I had a home, I had hard meetings with every single record label. Nobody was interested in like a Jewish kid from New York city making rock and roll music who comes in there and like talks this big game about how they want to change the world and, and completely remake the genre in their image. You know what I mean? Like nobody, everybody, no, 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 no. It was only other artists who liked what I was doing and wanted to take a risk on me and invite me out on tour with them. Yeah. You guys are signed to uh, 300 entertainment, which boasts like an insanely diverse roster as it is young thug, fatty wop, uh, water parks highly suspect and you and i think a lot of these artists have similarities in the way that they're like making and releasing and pushing the envelope with what they're doing um yourself included but does like does 300 entertainment ever not vibe with what you're trying to put out or, or are they pretty do you feel pretty at home there no i'm definitely at home there they're amazing like it took a while to find them and for us to like get connected um, but they really just support artistry and individuality and are down to take chances and take risks and not put in a lot of those typical major label roadblocks that artists face. Um, the art is what the art is, and they're just incredibly supportive and they help you realize your vision instead of change it. You know, they sign you because they like your vision and they want to breathe life into it not modify it yeah how does being on such a diverse like genre diverse label affect the music you create do you find that being around like hip-hop and all of that influences you or oh yeah i'm tremendously influenced by hip-hop and like i love hip-hop in general like it's it's always there even though it's not a prevalent like musical influence in the music that i make um but yeah just like the attitude and the culture and, every, and everything about it especially the way they release music like um it's really important to me i mean what kind of opportunities do you think the label has you know given you you know that that may not be present for like an independent artist you know like has the label taken des rocks to do you, do you think the label will take des rocks to the next level i think it's it takes a village yeah. And uh, there's a lot of people behind the scenes and every artist, and everybody does their part to make something great. And I think 
the label is going to play a tremendous part in this whole next chapter that's about to come. Um, and also like most importantly, like a label just kind of provides you with like safety. Like I can make my album over this whole last year without worrying about how the fuck I'm going to pay rent without worrying about like stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like they provide a really safe environment for you to make your art in and not worry about those things. A lot of American artists have to worry about. Yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy because sometimes when we have people on the podcast to talk about being on like a label, it's like, yeah, you know, the major label, you know, the, the label, the label that we were on never really worked out and, you know, we're back to being, you know, an independent artist. I mean, do you think, do you think you're more comfortable and have the freedom that you want being on a label? Uh, you know, because not every label marriage between artists and label is always like so copacetic, like it seems like yours is, but it seems like you have a lot of freedom to do whatever you want, right? Well, here's the thing, like I've already been through the ringer. Like I was right. in another band on a major label. Yeah. And uh, I just got fucked every single way you could get possibly fucked and just left for dead. You know what I mean? Right, just right. all your hopes and dreams just squashed in the most <clears throat> um, I don't know, the most cowardly way ever. So like I knew what I was dealing with. You know what I mean? So like when everybody kind of all those major labels on the second time and like when I really found my own voice and created my own um, identity, when they all said no, like, yeah, it's kind of upsetting, but it was also like twins with a sense of relief, relief, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't have to go through this carousel again. Um, so 300 like have is, is technically independent and they have this sort of flexibility um, to maneuver while also providing the best of what major labels provide. Yeah. You guys hadn't really played many shows before the Grandson Tour. Like, I think we could count them on one hand, if I remember right. And I thought it was such a strange thing as somebody who usually, like, I watch bands push themselves forward for years and years. Like, you just talked about going through the grind of, like, the traditional, you play to no one, you do it all. But you came into this project with a leg up. You had already toured extensively with your other projects, um, you know, and, like, Secret Weapon in particular, which unfortunately came to an end due to some health issues of another member. Can you speak about, you know, your former band, why it came to an end, some of that grit and gruel that you had to go through with that, that, like you said, you kind of skipped some of that with Desrocks being able to just jump in and, and be like, oh, this is what I want to do. I've already experienced all that. I don't, I don't need that. Yeah, it was one of the um, most difficult uh, periods of my life, without a doubt, like those three years where we were just on tour in vans playing sometimes to no one sometimes some like amazing opening slots with like dream bands and arenas and stuff um but we were a duo and the other member who's the guy that i was talking about earlier in this interview from high school who i make all my records with um he got extremely ill uh we didn't know what it was at the time it turned out to be lyme disease and uh you know we were I was like equal parts band member, tour manager and nurse on, on these tours. And it was a very difficult and challenging experience. And after all those hundreds of shows, um, after all those miles, all those all night drives over and over again, it just got to a point where he said, I, I just cannot tour anymore. I'm too unhealthy. Um, and then at the same time that happened, we got dropped by our label, we got dropped by our management, we got dropped by our agents, and you work your whole life to get to this moment where you quit your jobs and you're finally in a band, and um, then it all went away, you know what I mean? And it was just like, it was like poof, it was like in a couple of weeks, it was just all gone, all those hours. Um, so I had to start over, 
And I just kind of went away and I dug into myself and I was like, wow, now I'm like really on my own for the first time. You're in bands your whole life. And I just really thought about who I am as an artist, what I wanted to do, what I wanted to say. And for the first time I sang and for the first time I was just writing the songs and producing them all on my own. And that's how Des Rocks was born. I mean, <clears throat> what do you think the biggest change for you since leaving Secret Weapons has been in coming into Des Rocks? Um, the biggest change has been not navigating major label politics, um, not learning hard lessons um, the way I did in that band, like having a little wisdom being in a previous project. You know what I mean? It goes a long way and not wisdom where I'm like 80 years old now and I have this life to look back, but just those three years in that band where we were like really touring and really doing like those crazy dangerous drives like hopped up on tons of drugs and red bull because it was the only way you could get there you know what i mean like literally like yeah like one show in like southern california and the next show in northern north dakota right and it's like you have a day and a half and you keep the wheels spinning like a nascar pit crew like you stop for gas and you get back in and it's like i learned a lot of hard lessons doing that i've had everything go wrong on stage that could ever go wrong so um yeah it was important lessons. And I don't remember the original question, but man, I can go, I can talk about that whole chapter of my life for a long time. So when did the idea for Desrox come into play? It was after secret weapons had ended after you kind of like went into yourself or was it something that you had kind of been toying with in your mind already? And it just the opportunity never arose. I think Desrox has, has been there uh, since the day I was born. You know what I mean? Like it's always what I wanted to do. Um, but I was again, like growing up in Long Island, you know, emo was the thing. Hardcore was the thing. Then getting into the city in New York, it was all synth pop. You know what I mean? And then like, I just never fit in. And it was always this thread in my bands. Like it always was there, but it was one of two, one of three. And it was always a little masked. Um, so the, for the first time it was just unfiltered me. You know what I mean? It was just the most raw, truest version of myself. Um, so yeah, it's, it was always there. It was just bottled up for a really long time. And on that first tour we went out on, it seemed like you had like a five-year plan out, like, or even further, you know, like you, you knew what you wanted it to sound like, you knew what it, you, it was going to look like, you knew what the road crew was going to wear. Like you had everything planned. And I think you even said you had it in like a binder or something. Um, is that something that like throughout all this, just realizing that like you can plan all you want, but things are never going to go the way you want. Is it something that's like kept you a little more in the moment? Uh, the pandemic, I guess I should say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like, I had like a 50 year plan, man. Like I, I, I'm already thinking about like reboot of Des Rocks where I cast some like 13 year old girl to just perform <laughs> on my clothes when I'm like 75 years old. You know what I mean? Like I literally think about these things and I plan them out. And I'm just like, for me, it's just like, the 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 slate you can do whatever you want so like dream big like be creative like just don't be don't think these ideas you have are weird or anything like that um but as far as like the pandemic is concerned like your question like 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 the story i just told like i've had the rug pulled out from underneath me before so uh, in a way to like be playing all these shows and have all this momentum and like finally got my my own project like going to have the rug pulled out on me march 2020 I've been there before. Like I've learned this lesson. I know what it's like to have that. And now I know how to navigate it a little better. So I just immediately got to work on my album. I've been working on it for a year. So 
you're riding the rug a little bit more than letting it get pulled out from under you turn it into a magic carpet ride or something like that if there's anybody who knows what it's like to be like just fucked and just like dumped on the side of the road as a as a creative person and an artist like it's me so like throw whatever you fucking want at me man like i feel like some of the best as rock shows are like when everything goes wrong you know what i mean like i always say to eric you know doc my bass player yeah. like um like if something doesn't go wrong like it's it's not a desert rock show like i gotta be fighting adversity like fighting adversity and overcoming the odds and being this like david and this david goliath story defines desert rocks and also like it's a theme in the music um it's something that i hope fans grab onto and i think often they do and they distill those messages from the music um but yeah like tie one hand behind my back man that's that's when i go hardest so one story i love and i think it's like a pinnacle of what you just said and i know you've told it a million times can you tell the rolling stone story for for our fans you the walkout story and i know austin's gonna love this too i don't think he's heard it either yes i mean like you know we kind of like just we've been so many hours like preparing for this rolling stone show and you know went from um just like releasing the first song on spotify by myself to that moment in like 18 months just by like going so hard and, and so fast um and um backstage getting ready to run out and there's like 80,000 people out there in a football stadium in Philadelphia and the stage manager comes up to me and he says like by the way I just want you to know um the stage if it gets at all wet it's like really slippery it's more slippery than black ice and I'm like oh wow okay what I have like my in-ears in I can't really hear anything my intro music is playing I know it's drizzling a little bit and the first hit of the snare comes on I charge out on that stage the way I have a million times in rehearsal and in my dreams, I'm playing it over and over again, just how I wanted to since I was a five-year-old kid. And I take one step on the stage and I slip and I go totally horizontal to the ground, like a cartoon character falling oh, and shit. right on my back of my guitar, my guitar jams into my hip. I feel it just swelling up immediately. Um, and the whole guitar is horribly out of tune because I just took a huge fall and I'm just like laying on my back stunned for a second. And it was just like the ultimate Desrox thing. Like, and then I just popped back up and we just fucking crushed the show. You know what oh, I mean? Like, but, but it was like this stunned moment. I was like, what just happened? And I look over, I see Doc and Tully, my drummer, and they're just cracking up. Like they're just laughing. <laughs> and no one comes over to see if I'm okay. They're just laughing hysterically. And then like, when I saw them laughing, for me, it was like, like we're in this for the right reason because like we yeah, love music yeah. it's fun you know what i mean it's yeah. the ultimate expression of self and i just look at them and i'm just like this is like our whole lives leading to this moment i pop back up and we just we rocked so hard and started pouring and it was it was fucking awesome so awesome Fuck yeah. so you've already opened for the stones but who's somebody you would love to be on the road with either opening for them or having them open for you even dead or, or alive both? Uh, let's say alive. Someone that's realistic. Who do you want to go out with once things come back? Nah, fuck that. Do both, um, man. Do both. Do both. Dead uh, too. <laughs> so I'll do. I'll do all of the above. Yeah. So I'll do uh, a band that I I really want to open, um, or just perform with. There's this punk band out of Toronto. Um, a trio. No, I think there's four 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 girls out of Toronto. They're called No Bro. N O B R O. They're an absolutely fantastic mm. band. If you haven't heard of them check them out. Uh, I don't, they think they need way more credit than they get. Um, and they need to be a lot bigger than they are. And then, um, if I could think of somebody dead, I'd like to perform with, I would say, uh, Prince, 
I would just watch him perform every night. Uh, that would be the greatest tour of all time. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, those are my answers. <laughs> okay, man. Well, one thing I would love to talk about as an artist's perspective is placement. Um, if you want to make it as a band or an artist these days, you have to be put in front of people in more ways than just playing a concert or being put on the radio. It's playlists, it's TVs, it's commercials, it's movies. Um, even some of the bigger venues like curate the pre-show playlists. So what was like your first oh shit moment with Desrox hearing like one of your songs be played back to you out of context? Um, I had a song in a trailer for a video game uh, called Borderlands. And that was just like Fuck so yeah. fucking. Orleans cool. is sick. Yeah, yeah, and it was just like really cool because it was just like it was just so. I was like, I was thinking about how much work went into making this game and how much went into this trailer, like how many artists, and they decided to paint the whole thing with my song. And I thought that was so cool because the song is so intense and high energy, and what they did was so beautiful and intense. Everyone's like running around shooting each other, and it was just, it was like really exciting. I was like, this is a great fucking placement. Yeah. Yeah, dude. For me, it was I heard "Let Me Live, Let Me Die" on that Shameless uh, plug. Like uh, yeah. randomly, parents were watching TV, and I heard and I was like, "What? Who's the fuck's listening?" And I was like, "It's on TV." <laughs> I think I had to send you and you and Will like a fucking video. I was like, "Holy shit, dude! This is awesome!" It's so great yeah. hearing like friends actually like make it to that next sphere of just like you know finally making it in front of more people than just the people seeking out the music, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool, man. I mean, you've just seen having played so many shows in my life, you see so many bands that are so good and you just like get upset that they don't ever pan out. Like I think some of the greatest bands of all time were bands like growing up in Long Island that disbanded in like 2012. You know what I mean? Um, but then a lot of these people like down the road get their due. You know, it's crazy. Like when they stay in it, you got to just keep going. Um, despite the odds, like this is a band I was obsessed with in Long Island called As Tall as Lions. And they were fucking amazing and they had some good success and they kind of just went away for 10 years. And now this guy, the singer, Dan Nigro, is like a humongous superstar producer and like produced that driver's license song. So um, yeah, man, it's crazy. Like you see these amazing bands, you're just like, I wish they kept going, you know? Yeah, dude. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's start to wrap up here. I'm going to ask you one last question, then we'll get into some quick hitters. But, you know, we've talked all about your career and what you've done previously, but I want to know what's on the horizon for Desrock. So just kind of give the listeners a little bit of a preview of what you have going on the next couple months and into the end stages of this pandemic as we start to uh, get back to a little bit of normalcy. Are you going to be playing any shows at the butt end of this year or... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of tour dates that are in the fall. We've got some amazing festivals coming up, um, including Firefly and Aftershock in California. Um, and just an absolute pun of music that I'm just really confident is going to change the game and really um, be different than anything anyone's heard. Hell yeah. Well, we'll be there at Aftershock to say hello, or at least I will be. Hopefully, Austin comes to some of these festivals to hang. But you, isn't so Grandson playing Firefly too? Oh yeah, shit, we're on both of those, aren't we? Yeah, hopefully well, one of those will hang. I have no fucking idea. I just show up oh. and tune guitars, man. <laughs> 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 but yeah, we'll figure it out when it gets closer. Hopefully, we'll overlap there. I'm I'm more than positive we'll see each other before the year is end, uh, is done. Look. 
But we usually end the episodes with a, a couple quick hitters. So we'll ask you a couple questions. We'll just get like a couple couple quick answers. So Tommy, if you want to go ahead with these, man, I'm ready to go. Yeah, dude, I'll start it off. Uh, normally, you know, we end the episode by talking about food anyway. So we'll, we'll start <laughs> with this this quick. Uh, I, I wanted it to be its own section because I, I feel like for you, it deserves more talk, but we'll, we'll do it quick. Top, we'll say top three pizza choices in New York. I've been waiting for a fellow pizza lover new york pizza lover to be on the show uh paulie g's in greenpoint brooklyn lucali in cobble hill brooklyn and defara um in all the way south brooklyn those are the sounds like best. you got to go to brooklyn for good pizza is what you're telling me <laughs> i mean it's great it's great pizza all in every borough yeah you want to take the next one? Oh yeah sorry you gotta edit that out yo so what uh, what wait that doesn't even is that written correctly no. What what current music are you listening to? How about that? Current music, like music that just came out. Uh, I mean, we usually just, just kind of expand it to rocking. like what you're listening to as a whole, but like. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I've been listening nonstop to this Prince live concert uh, from Syracuse, 1985. Um, that just blows me away. Like it is the most incredible live concert of all time, I think. And um, he just starts a show by holding one note on a synthesizer and it's just a pad. And he says, hello, Syracuse and the world. And I'm just like, it gives me goosebumps just even thinking about it, you know? Um, yeah, I listened, I've listened to that show 10 times in the last week. It's two hours long. God damn. Jeez. Yeah, I just What's... ordered the DVD. I found a bootleg of it because there's like no like <laughs> video of it that exists really. Um, because it got broadcast one time ever in 1985, yeah. and I just found a DVD of it, and I ordered it on eBay from like China. So excited! You should upload that to YouTube for the world to see, because I think everyone deserves a little more prints in their lives. <laughs> What's an odd merch item, like a non-standard merch item you've always wanted to make? And this came, this question came because last night I was just brainstorming on this. I was like, man, it'd be so fucking funny if he made pop rocks, like. Des Pop Rocks. I, I can see the packaging already. So what's like a merch item you've always wanted to make? In a similar category, I want to make Pez Rocks. Uh, and I want to have, yes. I want to have a, a Pez dispenser that's me and then my neck opens up. Dude, <laughs> Whenever you get that, I'm going to oh, need one because my brother cool. used to collect those. That'll be like his Christmas gift whatever year you do that. That's fucking <laughs> amazing. I love it. That's so funny. What about uh, a bucket list band you need to see live? um that is that one that is still playing yes i've never been to a nine inch nail show so i i really need to see a nine inch nail show dude i've heard they're like an experience like none other that's yeah we've been since i was a kid i've never seen them either that they, they're definitely like on like my top 10 yeah tib our you know tib uh he has been like plugging this nine inch nails live show um the one that they did for vivo i think if you haven't seen that, that is a spectacular, like, oh, Nine Inch Nails live. <laughs> yeah, insane. Yeah. Uh, now that you've been on you know, more than one bus tour, van or bus? I know you hated the bus when we toured together on it. <laughs> I mean, I, I did. I mean, I've grown to love the bus, TBH. Um, we all knew it was going to happen. We were surprised when you hated it. <laughs> I, mean, I had just been in a van for so long and had just total autonomy and control and the idea of not having that control was weird for the first couple of weeks but then i got really used to it like 30 shows in a van versus 30 shows in a bus 
are very different experiences. One is like a lifestyle. The other one is uh, a brutality. You know what I mean? Like you will walk away from that experience, like brutalized. Like people are not talking by the end of that tour. You know what I mean? In the van, because you have nothing to say to each other. You've driven six hours a day with each other every day. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I might get in trouble for this one, but favorite Canadian artists you've toured with, Grandson or Glorious Sons? It's a tie, Grandson and Glorious Sons. That's the best answer you probably could have given. Yeah, that's, that's still, that's the right answer. You might get in trouble. I'd be the one who gets in trouble. Yeah. yeah that's true. I just asked the question. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, what, uh, well, what's a non-touring activity that you can't wait to do again on tour? You know what I mean? Like, outside of the music, outside of the whatever, like, what do you enjoy doing on tour that isn't, like, something that you have to do on tour? I love waking up on a bus and just being the first one up and sitting in that lounge and having a big coffee and then exploring the city. And I'll just get off on foot and I will just walk for miles and miles and miles and I will see everything there is to see and just take it all in. And then I'll find some little nook in that city and I'll just sit there and I'll the laptop and headphones, usually a coffee shop for cup number two, and then just write and respond to anything I got to respond to. And just like, I'm like a morning guy. Like I wake up at the crack of dawn. I'm just like, I'm ready to go. Like I just want to hop out of bed. I want to just like, I want to do everything that day. You know, I'm, I'm excited. So. Yeah, man. I definitely remember that about you. I remember you waking up, getting up early, grinding. Like you would always go find, like if there was like a WeGo work or whatever that was called in the city, you'd be there. Like I just remember thinking who the fuck, like this opener is working harder than like anyone on this tour, just cause you were always up. And then you were like the first in bed. Like, yeah. Like the, the hang times with Danny on tour were, were few and far between. Cause you were always doing something, always making something happen. And that is the takeaway. I always remember of you. I'm like, man, that guy's going to go so far just cause he never fucking stops. Like he is Thanks, truly like a fucking powerhouse of a, of a single artist. <laughs> Hell yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. But thank you so much, man, for coming on the show. We're going to wrap it up there. Uh, this was an op awesome episode. So stoked to finally make it happen. Um, and so stoked to finally see you whenever that does come. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me. Don't be a stranger, man. Dude, yeah, thanks a lot, man. This was, it was really, it was, it was fun to learn. You know, I've listened to your music for a while and it's, it's, it's always so, like I say, every fucking episode, it's so, so fun to learn more about all of these artists that like I look up to and then like I hear and I hear Tommy talk about it all the time. It's always just fucking so it's so enlightening to just have these conversations. So thanks again, man. Really appreciated you have it having you on. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And that's our show. If you like what you heard on this episode and want to hear more, be sure to like and subscribe to our pages. You can find us on Apple, Google, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as Spotify. You can also find us on social media, too, at LeftOffPod on Twitter. And just simply search our name on Facebook or Instagram, the Where We Left Off Podcast. See you next time.